Welcome to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. For over 30 years, Paul Stone has been seriously handicapping college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf. Over the past five seasons, spanning almost 600 releases, Paul has hit 55% against the spread in college football, gaining the respect of sports books and bettors throughout the world. He is monitored by highly respected the Sports Monitor of Oklahoma City. Paul has also won two major Las Vegas football handicapping contests and finished in the top four in two others. Each week, Paul will provide exclusive handicapping insights on the podcast. To receive Paul's exact picks each week, you can sign up for member-only access at paulstonesports.org. Now, on to the show. Okay, welcome to Episode 9 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast, entitled Passing Fancy or Running on Empty. Uh, Hawaii and UCLA, I believe those two teams kick off in... 39 days, but it's not like anybody's counting, uh, so enough of that. But uh, nice to know that college football is on the horizon uh, and less than uh, six weeks away before we kick off the 2021 college football season. Uh, Before I get into today's topic, I'll let you know that later in the podcast, I'm going to give out a tournament selection in this week's 3M Open, which is the PGA Tour stop this week. It cranks up on Thursday. Uh, in Blaine, Minnesota, at TPC Twin Cities, uh, there just north of Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, first of all, to recap, last week, uh, the podcast tournament selection in the Open Championship, uh, Brooks Kepka at minus 124 over Dustin Johnson, that cashed by a single stroke uh, in my official tournament and round-by-round selections uh, in the Open Championship went 7-2-1 and one against the spread. Uh, So a really nice major for my golf followers. Uh, Those of you, first of all, I would ask, if you're not following following me rather on Twitter, uh, please uh, consider giving me a follow at Paul Stone Sports. And then if you are so inclined, maybe take a look at my website and see what we have to offer there, paulstonesports.org. So I started, first of all, a few days ago thinking about college football teams that threw the ball a high percentage of the time. And on the flip side, teams that run the ball a high percentage of the time. Uh, In theory, anyway, passing is more high risk than running the football, all things considered equal. Uh, You know, teams that are heavily reliant, if you will, on the forward pass, uh, they're more likely to turn the ball over at a higher rate, Uh, at least in theory they are. Uh, Many teams that throw the ball early and often are sometimes, not always, but sometimes, trying to neutralize what I would call a physical or talent disadvantage. Uh, Oftentimes, such teams, their playmakers are smaller guys who get the ball in space. Uh, The quarterback often gets rid of the ball very quickly, so undersized and or uh, outmanned offensive linemen don't have to hold their blocks very long. Uh, This type of passing game, largely based on timing, uh, can almost totally eliminate uh, the opposition's pass rush because the quarterback gets you know rid of the ball so quickly. Uh, those of you who have been following college football for as long as I have, you certainly remember the late University of Texas head football coach Daryl Roll, uh, whose teams rarely passed the ball. Uh, they actually ran the uh, wishbone offense of the last several years uh, of his tenure there at UT before his retirement in 1976. 
The wishbone, uh, first of all, invented by Emery Ballard, uh, then an assistant at the University of Texas uh, in the late 1960s. Ballard would later become the head coach at both Texas A&M and Mississippi State. And also, after those two head coaching assignments at the major college level, uh, would subsequently uh, coach high school football again in the state of Texas. So talking about Royal again, uh, he wasn't really fond of the forward pass. In fact, he's widely known for this quote. And that quote was this, three things can happen when you pass the football and two of them aren't good. Uh, I might slightly paraphrase somewhat, but that's uh, the gist of uh, Coach Rule's signature quote. Uh, you know, of course, it's important to note that this quote was first given more than 50 years ago. Uh, and I think we'd all agree that college football has changed quite significantly over the past 50 years. Uh, I would maintain college football has changed quite significantly over the past 50 days. Uh, but that's another a podcast for another day, and perhaps we'll touch on those subjects before too very long. You know, while in theory throwing the football is a little more risky, on the flip side, it stands to reason that running the football is a safer mode of transportation, if you will. Running teams, again, in theory, they're going to turn the ball over less because the ball handling is less risky. Oftentimes, running play essentially uh, consists of the you know, quarterback, uh, you know, perhaps in the shotgun, but the quarterback simply taking a snap and putting the ball in the running back's hands or belly. So, again, in theory, running teams on average turn the ball over less than passing teams. You know, I don't have the time or probably even the resources to truly prove up my next assertion, but I would also offer that passing plays result in more penalty, penalties rather than running plays. I don't know that this is really controversial, I think passing plays uh, for the offense, uh, it's clear they produce more penalties, uh, holding penalties on the edge. You've got illegal man downfield. You've got illegal motion. A whole lot of penalties can happen when you're throwing the football. And, again, I don't think this is a controversial uh, position, but I haven't examined it, you know, real, real closely. I will say that in preparation for this podcast, I did spend several hours taking a look, uh, first of all, at quote-unquote passing teams, and then uh, equally as close a look at quote-unquote running teams. But I didn't examine really the the differences, if any, exist in the penalty rate and the penalty yardage uh, between differences between passing and running teams. You know, I did develop several hypotheses uh, and and kind of went from there. You may find it, uh, you may find my findings, what I came up with, you may find it interesting. Uh, You may find it useless. Uh, but I hope you uh, feel like that it does provide some piece of the handicapping puzzle, you know, and I was pleased with, you know, kind of what we uh, came up with there. So we're going to kind of get to it, and I'll kind of explain how I went about this process. I looked, first of all, at the past three college football seasons, uh, those, of course, being 2020, 2019, and 2018, and what I did was I identified the 10 teams, first of all, that passed the ball the highest percentage of offensive plays in those three seasons. And then from the other perspective, I identified the 10 teams that ran the ball the highest percentage of plays in those same three seasons. You know, first of all, I want to point out as a point of reference that college football teams now on average do pass the ball more than they run it. Uh, We talked about this, I believe, in a previous uh, podcast 
But over the past three seasons, FBS teams have passed the ball on approximately 53% of the offensive plays. So it's not lopsided. It's not like it's one-sided. It's very close. But again, teams do throw the ball today in college football slightly more than they run it. So let's look at the passing teams first. You know, the 10 teams in each of the past three seasons that threw it the most. Uh, And first of all, looking at those teams, there were three teams that were among the top 10 throwers in each of the past three seasons. So three teams, when you're looking at teams that had the highest percentage of passing plays among their offensive plays in the past three seasons, three teams were listed all three of the past three seasons. And I'm going to give you five seconds to think about those teams and come up with your answer. Time's up. No, I'm kidding you. Time's really not up. We'll give you a few more seconds to think about it. Again, the three teams that passed the ball uh, were in the top 10 of teams passing the ball, the highest percentage of offensive plays in each of the last three seasons, 2020, 2019, and 2018. And those three teams, Washington State, San Jose State, and Purdue. Uh, The first two, you know, pretty – Maybe not obvious, but I can see those. Purdue, I was a little bit surprised that they were a team that was in the uh, top ten of passing teams each of the past three seasons. But those three teams appeared in each of the three seasons. So let's take a look at turnovers uh, among, you know, you've got 30 teams listed, and some of them, again, are duplicates. Of course, Washington State, Purdue, and San Jose State are listed three times. But of the 30 teams over the last three seasons – comprising those pass-heavy teams. Uh, You look at those teams, uh, if all of them played, first of all, 12 games a season uh, times 30, you'd be talking about 360 teams or a sample size of 360 events. Uh, But first of all, you know, we know that the uh, COVID, first of all, uh, shortened the 2020 season. So that took a a few games off the season in many cases. Uh, So we're probably talking, and we are talking, a little over 300 games, a sample size of over 300 games in which these numbers apply. The cumulative turnover margin for the 30 passing teams, again, a little over 300 games, was negative 114 turnovers. So the turnover ratio among those 30 teams, the top 10 pass-heavy teams the past three seasons, negative 114 turnovers. We're going to talk about the uh, running teams in in a little while, but just for comparison, I do want to throw out the turnover margin for the running teams. And those 30 teams, the running-heavy teams, a positive plus 149 turnovers uh, over roughly the same number of games. So passing teams minus 114 in the turnover category, running teams plus 149. You know, that's a small sample size, but still, you know, somewhat compelling in my mind. I also hypothesize that heavy passing teams probably didn't perform as well against the spread as the mean, uh, and that was shown to be true. Against FBS opponents, the passing teams, just 137 against 175 against the spread. So fading them blindly would have resulted uh, in 50%, rather 56% winners. 
So 137-175 against the spread, fading those teams blindly, 50%, uh, 56% winners. Uh, I further, uh, looking at these passing teams, I hypothesize that when they were cast as the betting favorite, that they would fare even worse in that role, and that proved to be true as well. As favorites, those pass-heavy teams, just 51-74 and 74 against the spread, so fading them in this row, that gets you to the window 59% of the time. So these pass-heavy teams, again, fading them overall and fading them in the role of a favorite proved to be profitable in both cases. Now for a look at the 10 run-dominant teams over the last three seasons. There were five teams uh, that actually were listed among the highest percentage run, run teams all three years. So five teams were among the top 10 teams that ran the ball, uh, the highest percentage of offensive plays in each of the past three seasons. Three of these, in my mind, are slam dunks. Uh, in my opinion, anyway, you ought to be able to get those. One of the others, you know, pretty obvious, again, in my mind. And then the last one, I can, uh, you know, I can vouch that that team, a, a little bit harder to identify. So the first three, the teams that I would consider slam dunks, run-heavy teams that appeared in each of the last three seasons uh, as run-dominant teams, the three service academies, of course, Army, Navy, and Air Force. And then looking at the fourth team, again, another triple option team, uh, that team being uh, Georgia Southern of the Sun Belt. So that's your fourth team there. And then the fifth team, uh, a little bit less obvious in my mind. Uh, it would have taken me a while to get this. I would have probably had many guesses before I came to this team. But the fifth team uh, appearing on the list all three years as a run-heavy team, the Wyoming Cowboys. Uh, so again, let's repeat the turnover uh, numbers. Uh, the top 10 running teams uh, based on highest percentage of offensive running plays plus 149 in turnover uh, margin compared to negative 114 for passing teams. You know, I figured the running teams, because of their lower, you know, risk style of play, uh, again, might be better than the norm against the spread. And again, this was proven to be true. Uh, running teams, uh, these 30 teams, 176, 139 against the spread overall. Uh, the past three seasons for a pretty sweet percentage of 56%. You know, I additionally believe that these run-heavy teams uh, might be better in the role of underdog, you know, based, based again on the, the lower risk nature of their offense, and plus the notion that these games on average would be shorter, you know, a fewer number of plays. Uh, so I looked at the underdogs among these run-heavy teams to see how they fared, and it really wasn't the case. You know, my hypothesis was not proven to be true, uh, whereas overall uh, these teams, run-heavy teams, won against the spread at a 56% rate. The running underdogs, uh, they only were uh, 67 and 57 against the spread, so they only hit 54% against the spread. Still a nice little profit, uh, but uh, again, the predominantly running favorites fared better. Uh, they hit 57% against the spread or 109 and 82 against the spread so in summation the 10 teams that threw on the highest percentage of offensive plays hit just 44 percent against the spread so fading them 
would result in 56% winners. And then you back the top 10 run-dominant teams in terms of percentage of offensive plays. And that gets you back to the window at the same winning percentage against the spread of 56%. Uh, So really interesting there uh, what we came up with looking at the pass-heavy teams over the past three seasons and the run-heavy teams over the past three seasons. Again, a sample size of over 300 games, so not super, super large, but still not so small that you would scoff at the uh, the results of my little study there. Uh, now let's go to the uh, stop on this week's, uh, on the PGA Tour this week, which is going to be the 3M Open. It's going to be played at TPC Twin Cities, which is north of Minneapolis, St. Paul, and Blaine, Minnesota. A lot of big names uh, in this week's event. Uh, but as I often do, I'm going to look uh, you know, somewhat down the sheet uh, when I uh, try to identify a tournament matchup. And I honed in this week on the, Ver- uh, the Eric, rather, Eric Van Ruyen, Bo Hostler tournament ma- uh, matchup. And first of all, you look at the South African uh, Van Ruyen listed at minus 116 in this matchup. You've got Hostler, who's a California na- native, uh, played for John Fields there at the University of Texas. He's listed at 104 against Van Ruyen. And again, Van Ruyen, uh, this past week, he competed in the Open Championship at Royal St. George's, uh, failed to make the cut. It was actually his sixth missed cut uh, in his last seven events. Now he has to travel uh, back across the Atlantic Ocean, uh, still searching for his game. Not in great form. Uh, I think it's safe to say that Hostler, uh, on the other hand, he's fallen, uh, to be honest, somewhat short probably of the expectations uh, that others had for him coming out of the University of Texas when he turned pro following the 2016 NCAA Golf Championships. You look at his current form, though, this current five-tournament stretch, it likely represents the best five-tournament stretch of his career to this point. He's made four of the past five cuts. All of those four, he finished in the top 25, and that includes a tied for 10th at the Travelers Championship the final weekend in June. Uh, Hostler's current form, uh, far superior to Van Ruyen's. I recommend taking Hostler at minus 104 over Van Ruyen in a tournament matchup this week in Minnesota. Uh, so back to the football here, uh, just real quickly. Uh, you look at the uh, information that we that we came up with, and you ask yourself the question: You know, how do I use this information? Uh, you know, what uh, what I presented today obviously uh, is based on final team statistics uh, for each of the you know previous three seasons, uh, and obviously those. Statistical categories are fluid, and the final rankings are are not known until the end of the season. So there is some guesswork, without question, but it should be educated guesswork. Uh, And there is some, you know, there's some legwork as well in uh, doing your best to identify the teams that will ultimately fit into the top 10 teams in rushing and passing play percentages. Uh, You know, I'll say this, if anybody ever said sports betting was easy, uh, and that you could achieve long-term profits uh, with something less than, you know, 70 or 80-hour weeks, uh, you know, I think they were, they were pulling your legs. So, you know, sports betting takes, uh, it takes effort. It takes time. Uh, you know, it's all not laid out uh, perfectly for you and, and, and seamless, and you just, you know, press a couple of 
uh, buttons and uh, you get it done and you win and everybody lives happily ever after. That's just not the way it is. Uh, you know, I always say this, many things today uh, may be changing in the world around you, but there's at least one constant you can count on. And that's 11 is always bigger than 10. You know, it is today, it was yesterday, and it will be tomorrow. Uh, so that's the obstacle. You know, that's a worthy adversary uh, that we all really must overcome in our individual quest to become long-term winning sports bettors. Uh, so that's it pretty much for Episode 9 of the Paul Stone Sports Podcast, the start of college football season. It's going to be here before you know it. Uh, again, please give me a follow on Twitter. Uh, take a look at the website, paulstonesports.com, if you get a chance, or it's actually paulstonesports.org, I should say. You guys have a great week. I hope you have a great uh, tournament if you choose to become involved in the 3M Open. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Until next time, I'm Paul Stone. Thank you for listening to the Paul Stone Sports Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And visit paulstonesports.org to sign up for member-only access to Paul's college football, college basketball, and PGA Tour golf picks and predictions. 